This is Brad Milkey of ABC News Start Here podcast with your sports update. Down one star, the Golden State Warriors keep winning thanks to the rejuvenation of another. We'll explain coming up. Progressive presents the sounds of the old world. The year is 2019 and someone is getting up to use the bathroom at the stadium. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. You mind if I just squeeze by here? This has been the sounds of the old world. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Warrior star Clay Thompson is out for the 2021 season with a torn Achilles tendon, but in his absence, two-time MVP Steph Curry has stepped up in a big way. Curry sits near the top of the league in points scored and three-pointers made and set a new personal best with 62 points in a single game. This ABC Sports update was brought to you by Progressive, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, you're listening to On the Record with me, Sunetra Chaudhary. Every week, I speak to a newsmaker who gives us a unique perspective to an ongoing big story. Today, we're talking about the Babri Masjid demolition verdict, which has come out today after the CBI, the Central Bureau of Investigation, India's premier agency, has been probing and investigating it uh, for the last 28 years. After waiting for 28 years, what did the court find? Well, what we found and what the court's verdict said was that the CBI had been unable to provide any evidence of a conspiracy and that's why all remaining and surviving 32 accused persons which include former deputy prime minister of india lk advani uh, former union minister murli manohar joshi uma bharti among others have all been acquitted in a judgment that is more than 2000 pages the court talked about how the CBI had failed to provide any substantial evidence. Now, to understand more about this verdict, especially the criminal aspects, whether there's any chance, whether there's any ground of going for an appeal or not, I'm joined by Dr. Yug Mohit Chaudhary. Dr. Yug Mohit Chaudhary, who joins me now from Mumbai, is a very well-known criminal lawyer. He's very familiar with the CBI because he has acted, he as a lawyer, he's dealt with them on several occasions. Uh, Most recently, he was the person who dealt with the Natari case uh, and was also responsible for uh, Surinder Kohli, who was the main accused in the Natari case, for him getting, uh, getting off, getting his death sentence commuted. Dr. Chaudhary, thank you so much for speaking with us. And just to make it very clear to our readers, it is a judgment which is more than 2,000 pages given in Hindi. So Dr. Chaudhary hasn't read that judgment. However, like all of us, uh, he has seen all the news reports about it. He has been following the case as someone who's interested in law and can therefore tell us what we should take away, the initial parts of that judgment, what we can understand from it. Dr. Chaudhary, I want to start by asking you, this is 
case and this is a judgment which we've all been perhaps expecting and it is in it is in a way something that has defined the way politics and the discourse is there in our country uh when this kind of a judgment comes where they say that the agency has been failed has failed to prove anything is it disappointing for someone like you well very disappointing it's a damp squib this judgment it was much anticipated and it's been a, a great disappointment uh 2000 pages showing that the cbi couldn't prove something as elementary as the presence of the accused the decision uh the decision of you know the presence of a conspiracy even though this was much touted it was there was plenty of evidence of this both in the media even before the event and after the event there has been plenty of you know evidence of this to say that there was no evidence available because they couldn't produce the produce it in court is very very disappointing i know we are going by the fact that you know i've read yeah. certain parts of the judgment the defining operative bits and um from what are my colleagues in court are telling me so going by the fact what i want to start off by asking you dr chaudhry is the fact that they said that there doesn't seem to be a conspiracy it seems to be an act that was done by anti social elements and what is interesting is the fact that they say that these 32 people and a lot of us in the media are used to you know we've seen all the witness statements that have come over the years where they say that many were accused and the cbi said they made inflammatory statements they say they in fact the court says they in fact tried to stop these anti social elements what are we make supposed to make of this kind of uh, uh, an announcement to say that this is a crime committed by anti social elements is extremely surprising in fact i think it's an insult to our intelligence i don't think there is any doubt in anybody's mind that this was a ideological crime it grew out of a movement to construct the ram temple at that space and therefore the babri masjid had to be demolished there was a great deal of propaganda leading to the demolition of the babri masjid and it was a political event it was part of a political campaign there was a rath yatra which preceded it so then say that this demolition has been done by anti social elements in fact i think at one stage the judge even indicates that there were rumors of dacoits and criminals present in the crowd i wonder what what benefit could dacoits and criminals get by demolishing this decrepit old mosque let's be very clear about this this is not a crime committed by dacoits and criminals this was a crime committed by ideological this was an ideological crime let's be very clear about it you want to call it a crime you don't you want to say it's something else we can debate that but this was committed done for ideological reasons and this there should be no two things about this i mean we should not lie to ourselves the essential nature of this act has to be recognized that's the first thing now it is certainly possible that a crime may be committed by the at the, spontaneously where people get together not intending to commit a crime but then a crime is committed either by individual acts or by people you know a, a coming together of a common intention or you can have a crime which is committed on the basis of a meeting of minds and agreement beforehand which is what is called a conspiracy now in this case there is plenty of evidence of a conspiracy you have the massing of men 
you have the arrival of karsevaks you have accommodation being made for karsevaks their living and food arrangements are being made over there you have the massing of material for karsevaks you have the giving of inflammatory speeches you have the slogans that are being made for a long time mandir yahi banayenge and then after all of that you have the presence of the accused at the spot and then to say that this was a crime which was not pre-planned but which just happened spontaneously is i think to try and take us all for a ride no one is going to accept this not anyone with a shred of intelligence or understanding about the law will ever accept this in his heart of hearts so dr chandra here's the thing uh, we all know that the cbi has messed up cases before so that wouldn't be a first so when you say no one will accept this the their kind of summation and their kind of uh, what they've taken away from this is it because is it the cbi's fault or is there something much larger at play over here the cbi has the one for example you talked about the inflammatory speeches what i just want to point out to our viewers what is what i also want to point out is by looking at that portion of the judgment that i read and they referred to it about the leaders who were on stage they point out and say that the cbi failed to get recordings which were verified by a forensic laboratory and they failed to get voice samples which then so they were unable to get voice samples to make a kind of link between voice samples and the recordings that were there so in that case is it the court's fault is it the cbi's fault who's really at fault over here when an attempt is made at adducing evidence and the other side objects the judge has to rule on whether that evidence is admissible or not in the event that let us say you are trying to adduce a document or let us say a film and the judge rules that the document adduced is a photocopy and not an original or that the film that is being sought to be proved has not been duly authenticated and the original is not produced and therefore the document or the film is not admissible because it is a secondary evidence and not primary evidence the prosecution has various options open to it at that stage the prosecution can say well all right we'll get the primary evidence or the prosecution may say yes this is secondary evidence but we are allowed to lead secondary evidence in exceptional cases and this is one of them and for the following reasons the secondary evidence should be allowed or the prosecution can appeal that verdict of the judge refusing to exhibit that piece of evidence this is elementary this is extremely elementary any first year law student will tell you this if a judge has ruled a piece of vital evidence as being inadmissible during the trial you have the whole of the rest of the trial to remedy that you can get the original evidence or you can make an application to lead secondary evidence there's so much that can be done if this has not been done and you have rested content with your attempt to lead secondary evidence which has been rejected by the judge for lack of authentication i wouldn't say it's incompetence because this is too elementary to be incompetence it smacks of collusion collusion between could you clarify on that because yes certainly know, as someone i've covered the cbi also yeah so you know the cbi for a lot of its things it goes back to the government it's actually an agency which is under the department of personnel and training so while it is meant to be autonomous there are certain things when it comes to getting their officers when it comes to moving when it comes to getting legal uh, opinion that's when the interaction with the government comes so you are saying collusion between the government 
which is represented by the CBI. Let us not be under any illusion. The CBI is the government's agency. It prosecutes on behalf of the government, is under the control of the government. The collusion I mentioned is between the government through the CBI with the accused. So just to clarify, because, you know, you've said a lot of things over here, just to clarify, you're saying there are crimes which can happen without previous conspiracy. But in this particular case, with what we know right now, with a lot of the information that's out in the public domain, this isn't, according to you, one of those crimes that happens without a conspiracy. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, that's very clear. So I want to ask you what happens now then? Uh, knowing and as someone who has tracked the CBI, as someone who's worked and knows how the CBI works, what can we expect now? Can we expect because the CBI for now is not reacting about whether they will appeal or not? Do you think in this case there will be an appeal? Are there grounds for an appeal? And after 28 years, if we didn't see them, CBI, being able to gather enough evidence, does it make sense to have an appeal? Well, whether you, you know, when your prosecuting agency is in cahoots with the accused, as I think it is in this case, in fact, I'm quite sure it is, given what I've seen already, as I told tell you, you know, if they've reduced secondary evidence, when they could have reduced primary evidence or they've reduced secondary evidence without seeking permission to lead secondary evidence. And that has been rejected, that secondary evidence. And that breach and that failure has not been remedied. Then it smacks of collusion. And from what I'm seeing, there is plenty of this evident in this particular case. Now, if there is collusion at the trial court, to say that we will file an appeal would really make no bloody difference at all. That If the evidence hasn't come on record in the trial court, you, the appeal court is not going to be able to do very much. Maybe an appeal will be filed just for the purposes of ticking a box and for public appearances to show there was an element of objectivity. But I don't think there is any sincerity underlying that. So basically, you're saying what happened with, for example, the Hinduja case, the Beaufort case, where they weren't able to, the trial court, when it went to Delhi High Court, even then there wasn't. Because it's not like a new investigation is done during an appeal. They go by what they have at the trial stage as well. So you're saying there's really no point in going through this, what you think is maybe a farce, uh, you know, going if, through with it again. What I'm saying is this. If the main planks of your prosecution case could not be proved because you were not able to lead primary evidence and you had the 28 years of this trial to do that, to lead the primary evidence, to obtain the primary evidence or make a case for leading secondary evidence. And if you didn't do that now, there's little that you can do in appeal. Since you're talking so much about primary and secondary evidence, just to clarify another thing, even if they were just photocopies of what reporters wrote and, you know, the speeches that people gave, even if the voice samples were there, but they weren't properly, uh, you know, they weren't able to get original recordings. You're saying that still could have been admissible if the CBI made a strong enough case, but they didn't bother doing that. Photocopies but, would have been okay if the CBI was able to argue it well and lead it up well, but they didn't do it. Correct. You see, there are cases where the original may be lost. There are cases where the original may not be available to you. There are cases where the original may have been destroyed. Now, that does not mean that kind of evidence cannot come on the record. In these cases, evidence can be brought of what has happened through secondary sources, through photocopies, through copies, secondary evidence. 
but you have to make an application for that and make out a case for that. Now, given that the events are so old, it is very possible the original may have got destroyed or may have been corrupted. And therefore, you have a good case to make an application for secondary evidence. Dr. Chaudhary, since, you know, you are, you know, you're a man of law, I have to ask you, there are many people because, you know, who look towards all these, who are tracking the courts, who are tracking the judiciary, they're saying that a lot of reactions of people are, well, does this mean that something that we all witnessed never took place? Does this court verdict mean that no one demolished the Babri Masjid? What would you say to them? It's deeply, deeply disappointing and heartbreaking to see what has happened. It's, it was a dark day in India's history when this mosque was demolished. And today is another very dark day in India's history when these people have all been acquitted and not a single accused, not a single person has been held accountable for this act. I don't know yes. what, answer, what answer the government and the, the prosecuting agency will give to the people who will ask them this question. Did the Mabri Masjid self-destruct? A public event captured on film, broadcast all over the world. Whose films, the films, are, the footage is available even today. Everywhere it's available on public websites. To say, after all this, that we do not know who demolished the Babri Masjid, is to render the enterprise of law a dead letter, a charade. It's deeply so, disappointing. So tell me, if, if indeed, suppose we give CBI the benefit of the doubt, and they approach you, this is all hypothetical, if they approach you and they say, we want to, we really want to get all the people, we still believe that these 32 who've been acquitted, they are the ones who do it, who did it. They are the ones who incited and they are part of the conspiracy. Uh, and the VHP leaders who have been freed, they are the ones who got all the car savaks together. How would you as a lawyer, out of this kind of complete acquittal, how would you go about, what is the way to go about building a case so that the High Court overturns this acquittal? Sonetra, I'm so happy you asked me that question. Well, the way to do it would be this. The first thing they would need to do is to make a list of all the evidence that they tried to adduce in the trial, but which was rejected by the judge for various reasons, because it was either secondary evidence, not authenticated properly, so and so on and so forth. Make that list then make an application in the High Court under Section 390 or 391 of CRPC, I forget the section, which allows the court in appeal to order the, the taking of further evidence and then make an application to the High Court asking that you be, they be allowed to lead further evidence whereby the primary evidence of these documents and, these foot, and this video footage be adduced before the court or an application be made for secondary evidence and these items of evidence which are rejected at trial be then admitted in evidence. This is the first thing that should be done. If, if there is an ounce of sincerity in this, in this prosecution, the CBI will make that application in the High Court. This is the test for the CBI. This is the test for the CBI. I just wanted to ask you, I don't know if you followed, I was in Ayodhya uh, just in August when the Bhumi Pujan took place. At that time, a lot of the people who were special invitees were some of the car sevaks who had taken place, who had taken part in the 1992, the entire agitation, who were part of the demolition process. Now that the court has called them anti-social elements, the fact that they were fated and celebrated by a political party, does that mean, 
you know, is there now, are they bound by the court now? And I also wanted to ask you, the Supreme Court in its order that came last year, they said that the demolition was illegal. In a way, is today's judgment, is that contradictory towards the Supreme Court order which said this is illegal, it is a violation of the law? Sonetra, the judgment which said that this demolition is illegal is itself a contradiction in terms. That judgment then gave the land to the Hindus after saying that the demolition was illegal. You know, the tone has already been set. The die has been cast. The lower judiciary will only follow what has been done by their superiors. I think that's uh, that's a very, very, um, very important point that you make there. Dr. Chaudhary, thank you so much for explaining this to us. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I know that, uh, you know, you were reluctant because you hadn't read, but I think just as someone who knows the CBI, who knows how criminal law works, I think your insight has been invaluable. Thank you so much for speaking to Hindustan Times. Thank you. That's it on the show. I'll be back again for On the Record with a different newsmaker. Till then, if you want, you can log on to htsmartcast.com and listen to the other podcasts. You can also send in all your feedback, the kind of people you want us to speak to by logging on to our handles at htsmartcast or my handle at Miss Sunetra on Instagram or at Sunetra C on Twitter. Thanks. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.